Not good. Not good. Well, always makes for a good podcast. Hey, man, how are you? <laughs> I, I'm good. It's good to talk to you. It's been a while. It has. And do you know why it's been a while? You've been busy? No, because, well, yes, but me and you recorded pretty much on accident three episodes back to back. That was so good. nice. We did, oh. we, did, uh, we did a Thursday, wait, no, it was like a Wednesday show, and we're like, okay, good. And then Amanda's like, hey, when are we doing our show for free? Which is going to be in theaters November 2nd. Go to freethemovie.com to get your... Yeah. A lot of people on the Patreon and on the Discord are going very excited about that. Dude, the questions that are coming back are awesome. Mm-hmm. So, well, let me just give you my experience of watching the movie free. The And not all the things, but just like the one takeaway or the couple takeaways that I have is um, one of my favorite parts of the movie is how the soundtrack kind of fades away and mm-hmm. you hear nature, you hear the shuffling of feet, you hear the turning of pages when they do Lezio Divina. And in my head, it was so interesting. I was like, it was like a confirmation of my morning practice, my morning spiritual routine. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because I'm I'm essentially doing wh- what I call not Bible study. It, it's a Bible study, but it's like Bible observing where I just read the gospel and I just try to figure out what I'm looking at. And I have a journal where I write down, like sometimes I write down every single verse that I'm reading, but most of the time it's like, okay, I want to understand like, oh, make a note of who is here. Make a note of who's being talked to. So I, I share this stuff all the time. Like, the Bible really does come alive, especially the Gospels, when you're attentive to the, to the even the little parts. And you start to notice hmm. things. Like, so, That Man Is You sponsors a, a Zoom call rosary every Friday morning at 6.30 in the morning. And it started during COVID when they, you know, no one knew what the heck they were going to do. So they're like, well, why don't we just get together and do this? And one of the things that happened was it grew to like five, six hundred people. Now it's about a steady four fifty. Mm-hmm. Some like Satanists or something disrupted it a couple of weeks ago and started showing like screen sharing, like awful stuff and trying to take hmm. over, you know, all the things that Zoom tried to fix early on during the pandemic. But um, so anywho, so but then what's happened is like it's become this cool vehicle for praying the rosary. And then on top of it, it's there's like a reflection. And I was talking with this guy, Isaac, who's doing his, his reflection. And he was like, you know, I was really praying over the, the woman, the hemorrhaging woman and the raising of Jarius's daughter. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, there's, there's a lot of really interesting things there. And I had been praying over the same thing. But I was doing Luke's because I'm just reading through Luke's gospel. And things that stood out to me stood out to him. But then he noticed other extra things. So... Like the thing that stood out to me was the hemorrhaging woman had a hemorrhage for 12 years. Jarius' daughter, who was dead, was 12 years old. So it's, just, it's like, I don't know if there is any significance. I'm not trying to like understand the meanings of the universe through this. I'm just trying to be observant. And then mm-hmm. he says, you know what's interesting is Jesus calls Jarius' daughter, daughter, or she's called the daughter, right? And then you have this hemorrhaging woman of all the things that he could say to this woman, he says, my daughter, your faith has made you well. And it's funny because he says he doesn't, he doesn't say that any other time he heals a woman or, you know, like the woman who, who wipes his hair, wipes his feet with her hair. 
Um, he doesn't say that. And it's like, it's just interesting that within this story of this woman interrupting him healing Jerry's daughter on the way, like they have these interesting little parallels. And I was like, see, this is the thing that I love. Like, and in mm-hmm. free, mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of like the backdrop because a lot of them, they're, you know, they're contemplative orders, but they're attentive to these little things. They're observant. They're receptive. And I had to hmm. give a talk. Your boy had to give a talk at St. Mary's and College Station. And they just built this beautiful new church. I mean, it's resplendent and glorious. Heard of it. And they said, I want you to give a talk on receptivity and on the bless and you have to mention the Blessed Virgin Mary. And if you want to talk about the physical church, you can, because you won't be able to not talk about it once you get inside and, and see it. And I talked like I I, <laughs> I started my talk by saying to the kids, the kids, the college students, um, Oh shit, I'm old. Uh, the glorious, glorious college students. Yeah. Uh, I said, you know, like, isn't this church amazing? It's, and I went on about the church for like 30 seconds. And I said, and you don't even care. Like, you, 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 this is old news to you. And do you know how I know that? Because all of you were talking at full volume. You were more excited to see each other, who you probably don't get to see every day of the week, than mm-hmm. you were to see this place. And I said, but for me, this is my first time. I came in here early with the lights low and I just got to stare at the mosaic or the uh, painting behind on either side of the tabernacle of the mm-hmm. saints mentioned in the Roman canon. And I just got to contemplate it. And, uh, and so I started. So I'm pointing- better than you losers. <laughs> Essentially. But I was like, but this is what we do as humans, right? Like we're receptive to something the first time, the second time. But when the novelty wears off. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. We don't we don't have the the self discipline or the wherewithal or even like the awareness like the the knowledge that I should try to now cultivate um, a receptivity that like when you first see it you're in awe it like imposes itself on you but then after that there's like this discipline of what you could call it contemplation of receptivity of just sitting with the thing and saying like I do want to notice more and it's only the receptivity. That allows you to do that. Because then when you start the activity, you start to act on the thing instead of letting that thing act on you. And so that was like the the springboard from the thing. But, uh, you, you know, you talk about that often, about that notion of receptivity. And I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, this is this is awesome because, like, I'm not trying to get the Bible to, like, I am writing a book on apologetics that's totally separate from this. But I'm just trying to, in the morning, just get the Bible to, just to be receptive to the gospel. Just to mm-hmm. let it like show itself to me just like you would a painting where you're like uh, you know so on the roman canon there are two women who are very similar looking and i'm assuming those are perpetua and felicity there's one woman holding a lamb and i'm guessing that's saint agnes whose name means lamb and call them plain janes around here (laughs) and so i'm just trying to figure like out these people by trying to be receptive to all the minutiae of details like there's a guy standing there holding a sword like okay obviously that's saint paul but you have these things and you're like, ah, oh. like the more attentive I am, the more I'm able to see. And mm-hmm. Von Balthazar had this great line where he says, he who sees the most wins. And that notion of like, yeah, that's what contemplative receptivity does. And that's what the movie, it doesn't just show that one thing, but like you could say in a way, receptivity is the, the, the major theme beneath the whole flow. Well, in a, in a weird way, I think you get to experience that receptivity in a film like that, right? You get yeah. to kind of because with it's really interesting. 
And movies really one of the few places you can actually be receptive in our culture for a long period of time. Yeah. Kind of like yeah, where it's like sports, I'm gonna right? sit here. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, yeah. Your your point about like the Bible and kind of that's those the small details that really pop up. That so I've I forgot the name of this. Sorry, <clears throat> I've been battling a cough for the past eight years. Um, <laughs> I've been talking a bit. I think I may have talked to you about it on the phone or just on the podcast about this. Um, uh, about this magazine that I've been sub- subscribing to called the point it's uh I'm going to I'm going to read you guys really quick what the point's about this this is directly f- from the first issue I, I got I mean not not their first issue but the first issue that I got the point is a magazine of philosophical essays on everyday life and culture and the and the one that I got um oddly enough is all on beauty and it's really incredible i'm I'm really obsessed with this and i read this great article in here called the art of ugliness by um zachary fine and he talks a lot about artist name of ribera who was a late um uh, i think it was a 17th first half of the 17th century artist and he's known for painting like I mean, just to be kind of blunt, like grotesque individuals, like things that are really pretty, like intense and gross, like people who are very overweight. They just look, they don't really um, look their best at that point. Let me just put it that way. They're not living their best, their, you know, best um, life. And there's one of his more famous paintings. You would recognize it if you saw it. I believe it's called Titus. And they're very, like, Grotesque, not in like that, like postmodern way. It's grotesque in that, like, this is the ugliness of life, of like what the of almost the, the human body. But there's this really interesting what makes his art beautiful and captivating. And this is what this article argues is in the details, in the folded skin, in the dirt, in the fingernails. This is the person who's doing this, you know, 500 actually. A long ago, a long time ago. It's late here, guys. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's and it's so intense and it's so that like, when you really pay attention to the tiny stuff, it you see how incredible it is. And by paying it, the fact that he goes into such detail in the tiniest of aspects of the of the human body, it actually makes it very human, which is what makes it captivating. Like, so if you take a look at the Titus painting. Like the arms on the dude are just like unreal. How much he had, like all of the def. I believe this guy's like sides being like cut open or something. It's really gross. I think it's like a part of his organ is out. It's pretty hideous. But it's like he's going through like a horrible thing. Obviously, that's not fun. But like, like it, the details are incredible. And this is all with oil paint. And it's really when you get into the details of things that that's where beauty can often be found. Like actually, beauty, truth. And goodness, I think all of those things tend to, the less specific they are, the more vague the beauty, the truth, and the goodness becomes. You see this a lot in business. People will say, like, I don't, I don't, know, I don't know what you mean. Please be more specific. Or, like, people get tired of platitudes because they, like, lose all, like, meaning or, or um, different things like that. I think there's, there's a thing that can be learned from that which is that God is in reality. 
And it's in reality that we encounter him and that we find him. And I think so often these specifics, I don't know if they're like hard to deal with, but they just kind of get overlooked, I think. Well, I think think? one of the reasons being to have a contemplative, receptive look at anything, I mean, that does take effort, right? It's funny to say Mm -hmm. in the Catholic spiritual tradition, uh, it's very ironic to say contemplation takes effort because that's exactly what contemplation is not. Contemplation is not human exertion or effort. It is infused. It is a gift given to you by Mm -hmm. God. Mm Mm-hmm. But like the, so we'll just keep it to the phrase of receptivity, like just being able to, like, I think of you and your receptivity for music, the ability, whatever brought that on. Yeah. Well, Taylor Swift. Um, (laughs) I love her so much. Sorry. Yeah. The, uh, we'll talk about uh, later. Yeah. But no, the, the, the receptivity of being able to sit and listen like I used to do this all the time when I was young is I would buy a new CD for $17 or whatever at Sam Goody at the mall and I would play it. And as I'm listening from track one to the last track, usually around 10 or 12, I've read through every ounce of the album art, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. my last experience of actually going through the album art with the music going from beginning to end, this is actually really funny to me if i think about this out loud like i am right now was the last full digital album i bought on itunes plus years ago years and years and years ago when i was a youth minister at saint anthony's it was carrie underwood's first album and i'll tell you why because (laughs) you are one pathetic loser (laughs) in fact because she was on american idol Mm -hmm. and i yeah, I never, I never participate in those shows. I think you know all that stuff. That was one American Idol. I thought was great. It was fun. It was so fun. And I used to me, like all of my Oklahoma people. Well, okay, let me rephrase that. Me and like two other people who are from Oklahoma that no longer live there were like, <laughs> we are all in on this insanely gorgeous. What was she like? Twenty at the time, and I was twenty three. So maybe there's a chance. No, she was like 18. <laughs> Maybe she was younger. Oh, crap. Uh, backpedal, backpedal. Um, <laughs> but no, but the idea being um, when she made it to the level that she made it and she won, and then her album came out, I was I was like, yes. And there was a, an, a, a digital copy. It was back when iTunes would sell higher she, versions. She was 22, so you were fine. Okay, thank God. Woo, she was our age. Bullet. You're fine. Yeah. yeah. Woo, who knew? And uh, she uh, she did it better, but <laughs> she had a fake like autograph signing of it, and I printed it out as a joke, and when I hung it up in my office, and teens would come to my office and youth group and be like, "What's that?" And I was like, "Oh, Carrie Wonder Underwood's from the same town in Oklahoma where I'm from, Dakota," and she signed that for me. And they're like, "No way!" And I was like, "No, that's my new inkjet. Isn't that sick?" And I just thought it was so funny. But I listened to that album from Aren't beginning cool to kids? end. <laughs> I listened to it from beginning to end one time. Went through and I was like, "Oh, there's like three good songs here," and then I was done. But that was the last time I ever went from beginning to end to an album. You know, Spotify is definitely this is one of the downsides of Spotify. I think is they've kind of killed the whole experience of the whole album. Yeah, not streaming even Spotify. music in general. I mean, yeah. Spotify took what was already what had been happening since we started yeah. to go on to Napster. So really, it's our fault. Sorry, everyone. 
and you know then we go to the burnt the burnt cds and then you know here we are i i i do but i don't do a great job of sitting down and listening i should do that so you know who who does that is kevin Hyder. kevin will sit in his basement put on on headphones for 45 minutes to an hour and he'll listen to the whole thing like after the kids are all in bed or something of course he does. And he'll, and he'll yeah, and he, he has a whole, <laughs> and he just, yeah, I wish Kevin is the person we should all strive to be. Probably the last one I did was, I want to say maybe a couple, every, once a year, once every two years, I'll end up I'm listening to all of August and everything after by Counting Crows, their first album, which is just absolutely incredible. And there's, it's typically, if I listen to a whole album, it's a band that I've been listening to for a while, and it's an album that I like, and somehow I end up, I'm listening to the whole thing. But yeah, it's it's definitely, it, but the receptivity can, of it, right? Like exactly, exactly, yeah. Like even even the songs that suck, right? Because you know, to those pop stars that were conceived on a storyboard in an uptown high rise, mm-hmm. those pop stars, you really do get the sense that there's three or four killer songs, and the rest are filler songs, you mm-hmm. know. But to other artists, when you sit there and you actually pay attention, you actually go through it, it, it doesn't feel that way at all. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's no. the thing that, like, only an attentive listening kind of gets you. And I'm not, like, a big, you know, like, obviously, like everyone, I like music. But I'm not the kind of guy that, like, loses himself often in the music the moment I own it. But I would like to be more receptive to those kind of things. And my, my last kind of point was, there's this element when you're in mass and all of the, like the choir is singing, like everything is just at an 11, you know? And I actually, I stop singing and I just, I close my eyes mm-hmm. and I just receive, right? Like maybe it's in Latin, maybe it's in English, probably in English, the Queen's English. And I'm just receiving it. You were such a traitor. And I'm, and I feel like at that moment, the the whole point of the liturgy is happening there, which is I'm just in the I'm I'm caught up in the praise of God, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And it's this this the that kind of receptivity where you're noticing like like you're talking the details, the gestures of the priest, the elevation of the host, the swinging of the incense, the flanking with altar servers and 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 instituted acolytes and deacons and like everyone doing their thing and i'm on my knees and these prayers are being sung and you're just like this is it like this is literally i have nothing more that i can give i'm just receiving right and and how cool is it that mass is the greatest act of worship that we can give to god and it's all about receiving it's just saying thank you and then we receive even more like i don't know i just i get lost in thought about Mm -hmm. that I do find it like cause there's a part of me that like recoils when you say like how cool do we get to be a part of unmass? I'm like, oh, ugh, it's so boring. But I, I think one of the reasons why that is is because I've been. I actually don't agree now. I would I would, I would push back if you will against the notion of genuine people say I don't get anything out of mass and the response is well how much are you putting into it like wrong. Although I don't, I do think that that is like a good thing because that can actually lead to being more more receptive and understanding what is going on. I would then say like, how much are you paying attention to what's actually going on? 
mm-hmm. the words that are being being spoken, then why they're being spoken, then what they mean, what they are calling you you to. So not are you responding? I still think it's good to respond, but are you actually being receptive? So it's not so much yeah. that you need to be an active participant as much as you need to be open to what is happening, and that really yeah. opens it up. And of course, I, mean, I agree that like I agree with that. It's great that we get to be a part of a thing like mass. It is, it is in it's incredible, but I think. And I don't even think I really don't want to go go into. I mean, I will, but like I just, it's just you know, I'm tired of the liturgy war since before they began. I don't even think that that necessarily has to do with how the liturgy is done. With that, just as much as how much are you paying attention to what's happening within the liturgy? Because I think I didn't first truly kind of understand that the first time I did was like almost by happenstance when I went to my first my first morning mass at Franciscan that had no music. Yeah. And it just, I couldn't help, but just be like, so like, you're just kind of overwhelmed with like the flow of the mass because there's um, nothing else. I didn't have to be a part of anything besides what was happening right there. Yeah. And that just actually created a space where I could be involved with like what was happening, where I could, participating through that participation like led to this sort of like receptivity of like here's what's happening and this is i i don't know it's just i really i still to this day i would prefer you know if i got to if you were to say hey luke what kind of mass would you want just for yourself if it was just me that was going to be there i just want it to be me and the priest i kind of like that because it just it you're it forces you to really encounter what's actually ha- i don't think every mass should be that i'm not saying that okay yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. but um yeah, I think it's it's there's um the thing that's very difficult, which I've talked about at like ad nauseum, but I still think is super important that we talk about is just uh sorry, I just got a text from Paul and it and it distracted me. But um but, 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 but what was I gonna say? This um, is a thing our, I say all the time, but I still think it's important. Yeah. Our culture has condition us to be predisposed to reject receptivity yeah no matter like and it doesn't matter how catholic you are it is ingrained in your brain yep like if you think all the church needs to do is just like just have a better strategy like that's the culture yeah that stuff isn't inherently wrong but it's not what the church itself i'm need with the church herself what like what she needs way more than anything else are people who are on fire for for the Lord. And the only way that you can do that is through an attitude of receptivity because that's way more in line with being than productivity. And that's kind of why I, I, I have somewhat of a, not like a hesitation, but maybe a bit of like a pushback against the, that idea of to get more out of mass, you need to be more of an active participant in it. I don't think it's a bad thing. I just think to me, that's still coming from a place of action productivity. Um, it's a very a male driven idea and the church is female. That's why Mary is important. Like she and the church, you can't really split them apart and to, and to a model her to model her receptivity is to truly be church right which was the whole point of my talk right you stole it all from me did you? Oh, which yeah. i stole yeah. from father john father john nepal so you're fine and pope paul and pope paul the second um i'm balthazar you're fine 
Yeah. Oh, thank you for telling me that. I find you know I do have a master's <laughs> degree in theology, where uh-huh. I took a text of Hanser's von Balthasar mm-hmm. class. Did and you take Mariology class? Did you take it from me, or did you take it from other people? Who who was your primary source? <laughs> who was my primary? Uh, other people. Other people would be my primary source. <laughs> did I take it? <laughs> Listen, you were a source. You were, you, you were not the primary source. <laughs> did I move first? <laughs> you are the first mover. Um, no, but the 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 concluding part is like to understand the Marian receptivity. She's the greatest disciple, yet she held no honors. Right? She had no she had no hierarchical position. But but every pope bows the head to the Virgin Mary. Right? Like hell yes. And this and this under this understanding of like this is where discipleship goes awry is when we think we can just do more stuff and make everything better. As if Jesus said, Mary, get up and do something. Martha has chosen the better part, right? And this, this bias toward action is, is, is in a very real sense something that is undermining the actual renewal and reform of the church because it's more activism that is not grounded in receptivity. And mm-hmm. so the problem is, yeah. for most of us, because we have a bias toward action, we have a um, we have a disdain for receptivity because it feels passive. It feels like we're doing nothing mm-hmm. when, in mm-hmm. fact, it's the exact opposite. And it's like receptivity is still active. It's active, though, in an entirely different mode where I'm the one who is attentive to the reception. I'm being given something. This is why God is pure act, and that's why we call him father. Because in the ancient and medieval understanding, the male in the reproductive thing, he embodies the activity, the generative power, and the woman is receptive in the generative act, right? And uh, so we call God the father genitori genitokoi, right? The one who begets, the one who's begotten. And the beautifulness of that is like, this is why we have, I mean, you nailed it, Luke. The church is female. Who are the ones who are active and busy and working during the liturgy? It is those who represent Christ in the sanctuary. Who are the ones who are supposed to be receptive? It is those of us in the pews. That is our Marian moment. When do Mm -hmm. we become most receptive? When we, if we are in the state of grace, thus in union with the, you could say, overshadowed by the Holy Spirit, receive Christ within us. We become what Mary was for nine months, a living tabernacle. And then we get to have this, you know, however long the, the accidents remain, the substance remains within us. You know, this is, people say about 15 minutes after we receive Holy Communion, that is, if, if we are in the state of grace, that is peak Marian moment, right? And, and you just receive, but you gotta be in the state of grace. You gotta be, you know, receptive to what's happening. But the problem is, for us, it's like, no, I want to do something. I want to do something. I want to do something. And it's like, you are doing something. But the mm-hmm. thing you need to be doing most is like Mary, uh, not the Blessed Mother, but uh, Lazarus and Martha's sister, is sitting at the feet of the Master and receiving. And Jesus says she chose the better part. We just think we can reform everything and fix everything by being a bunch of Marthas. And the secret is laid bare right there. We need to be more Mary. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's really interesting. Um, oh gosh, I had a point, and I, there were two things I wanted to say, and I lost the first one. I'm so sorry, Gumrick. For some reason, 
the I don't want to say it out loud because it'll it'll activate again. The thing on an apple that you talked to just started <laughs> to talk to me for some reason. Hi, Luke. Anywho, I think you're lovely. Yeah, I know. I was like, you were on a great roll. I was like, no, no, stop. Uh, blah, 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 blah. okay. So receptivity. Yeah, are you I, looking I at love- your screen? Who just joined us? I think you sent the wrong link. No, no one just um joined us. Oh, Adam just joined us. Adam, <laughs> I don't know who you are, but can you sign off? Sorry, I sent the I sent the audience one. Yeah, well, the audience is there, but can you? You got a boot. That's okay. so funny. We're gonna have to change the name of our studio because. Hey, thank you, Adam. <laughs> sorry, yeah, sorry about that, Adam. Wouldn't it be funny if that was unfazzy somehow? Uh, <laughs> how is that? Ha- I don't understand. Okay, I'm sorry, I I don't get that at all. Yeah, um, but hey, I think so now weird. is is a good time to maybe switch over to the topics. I agree. Um, can I can I just add one quick thing though? Please do T- to that. Like when I love you talked about like action grounded in receptivity, and I just this is just like a this is just a cherry on top. We don't have, we don't, we don't have to. I think we've done a good job with this with this topic to be with Christ. To be on is to be on mission for Christ. It's not an either or. It's a both and. And I think the challenge for us is not that we prioritize it's 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 not that we have a disdain towards receptivity. It's how much our culture is ingrained in our brain that what matters is taking action. Taking action is very good. Doing work, I mean, on the like doing a work has been part of creation since before the fall. Like I love how in Dante they refer to people who work as artists. I think it's so cool, and it's a great way to view work. And uh, I don't even mean like your job, but just like when you're doing some form of labor. Yeah. And it's not it's not incompatible with receptivity. But the problem, I think, you're, I love the idea of it being grounded in it, because if not, everything is it just it doesn't work. And it's a, you have to have both. And true, I do think that the receptivity comes um, comes first quite often Christ encounter he doesn't send someone on mission that he hasn't encountered first or hasn't been moved God always moves first and we have to be a receptive and then we respond to that but it's not like it it can I mean quite often people like he's sending he sends the disciples out fairly early in his ministry right yeah but the point is they've been disciples Right, no, like, no, no, I, I, no, no, I, no, no. That's I what I'm agree. saying is like he doesn't send the neophytes out. He d- he does send you know, relatively early, but they have been yeah. following him since his baptism in the River Jordan. So it's but my like, my comment just being the receptivity came first. Yeah. Um, not to trump you, but what Benedict what he talks about is that they're like it's no. I'm just, I, I think he would agree with you. Um. He he says, "I believe it's in Jesus of Nazareth, where he's like to be with Christ is to be on mission for for Him. Mm-hmm. Once you encounter the Lord, you can't help but do that. And so, I think that desire for for action it's a good it's like a good thing. This is my point. I think the challenge for us is that our our, our love of work and our love for for action is probably going to be disordered because of the culture." And we just have to check that. It's not that it is a disorder in and of itself, but it is rooted in a disordered on a view of this good. Like action is good. So I just, I just want to make sure that I was clear about that. Yeah. It can be destructive 
if it's not ground if we're not if we're doing the wrong action it's mm-hmm. or if we get it out of order it's disordered yeah like obviously the work the fruit of our labor the co-creativeness like eventually mary and martha and lazarus are saints in the catholic church because they went forth right and that's the beautiful thing but like so often we do the exact opposite of the soul of the apostolate the soul of the apostolate's whole point is first you must be a disciple before you can be an apostle the only way to be an apostle is by being thoroughly rooted in your christian discipleship because you can't be a full disciple unless you're also on mission so the but the problem is so many of us want to lead with action and then hope that the holiness kind of catches up and uh, he has that great line in the opening he calls them the the heresy of activist apostles or something like that where um which would have eventually around this time also be called the heresy of americanism where it is the incessant need to do without fully understanding why and going out mm-hmm. and taking the gospel obviously but this this is one of the reasons why converts are annoying is because they barely know but they think they know all and so they're telling everyone now i want the zeal to be present in you know well-formed mature disciples it just unfortunately it's not always that way Okay, the horse has been beaten, the sawdust has been sawed, the windmills have been fenced, let us go. (laughs) Hey guys, what's up? This is Luke. I am super thrilled to announce a partnership that we're doing for this month about the movie Free. We're partnering with Bosco Films and with Fathom Events. Fathom Events is the is the media company that's brought you such things as the opera live in movie theaters, a re-release of Jurassic Park, that's amazing, and a lot of other cool stuff that you've seen on movie screens across the country. They're doing a one-day event for the movie free, and we're partnering with them to share with you all about this film. This film is incredible. I think it's something that you all are really going to love, and I truly hope that you take the time if you work at a parish, bring some people with you, bring your bring your small group, bring your family, bring your kids. This film is incredible, and we're so thrilled that they've asked us to partner with them. And if you go, you're going to see a super cool Catching Foxes ad before the movie. It's pretty awesome. It's a slide. It's pretty great. So, okay, let me tell you about the movie free. For centuries, many men and women have left everything to give their lives to contemplation. Free is a journey into the inner self of man. We have obtained permission to enter and to talk to people who rarely utter a word in places that remain closed to the world, the monasteries. What leads a person to strip himself of the world he knows to withdraw from it for the rest of his life? How does such a person think? Free approaches great questions of man's existence with only one objective, to listen to them. You need to go and see this film. It is incredible. It looks gorgeous. It is exactly as we talk about the need for silence, need to withdraw from technology, the need to really see reality, what better way to see reality as it is, the thing that draws to the quietness of our hearts, the depths of our hearts, the places that have the answers that our hearts long for, monasteries. It's a film about monasteries out in Europe and Spain, talking to the people who are there right now. It is gorgeous. It is incredible. This is a movie you need to see in the, in the theaters. It'll be there for one day on Thursday, the 2nd of November in the year of our Lord, 2023. In the show notes, you're going to see a link 
to the trailer. I highly encourage you to pause this episode, go to the show notes, check out the link to the trailer as well as to the website where you can buy tickets on there for seeing free on Thursday, the 2nd of November. If you want to go to the, to the website, that is fathomevents.com slash events slash free. Again, fathomevents.com slash events slash free. One more time for the old people in the back, fathomevents.com slash events slash free. Check out the trailer in the show notes. Check out the website. Buy a ticket. You're going to hear more about it from us. We are so excited to be partnering, partnering with them. Go see this film. It is going to be incredible. Bye. I want to start with a question from our good buddy, Paul Suentes. I'm going to see Paul tomorrow. We're going to the Notre Dame game against Pitt, and our friend Jack, who's like the queen of Notre Dame, got us seats on the 50-yard line, I guess. So Dude, that's, that's crazy. Awesome. I know. I can't wait for that. So Paul asked, do you think the church will ever pay lay employees a just on the salary for a just workload? How would it get there? Very much stuff that we've been talking about with grad school. So this is interesting. Yeah, I, this is I have, this is. I have some thoughts. Yeah, I, w- I was uh, picked up from the airport today and driven to the young adult event. So if I sound weird, I'm in a hotel. I have pillows all around my thing to kind of absorb the sound. But we had a really interesting conversation because he said that his boss told him 830 to 430, 830 to 430. That's your day. And he goes, but I serve people who are full time professionals who work out- outside and then they come here for Bible studies and retreats. So no, that's not my hours. And I, you know, just kind of talk them through this. And, you know, it's a mentality that a lot of us who are in youth and ministry had to deal with early on. Now I didn't because my youth ministry wing was <laughs> the youth room was opposite of where the other staff, but you find this all the time that when people maintain different hours, people who maintain regular hours are resentful or like feel like they're getting gypped because someone walks in at noon it's like, yeah, but I'm going to be here till 10. Like, come on. So these are, there's a lot of ways that we have problems with this. But number one, it is hard to determine what we mean by a, a living wage. Will the church ever pay a living wage? There are a lot of apostolates that are paying a minimum or a minimum, a living wage. There are, there are different scenarios, but I, I mean, at St. Anthony's, I was definitely paid a living wage. But I will say, I will say this. This is this is a shocking stat that I heard. Not really a stat, but Reverend Timothy Keller was talking about the different needs of a growing church, and he said that if you go from a little church to a big church, that's it. It's more jarring for the culture than if you had switched denominations. Wow. Yeah, and so he talks about yeah he he breaks down like maybe like eight or nine major things that shift when you go from a church of 35 or 40 to a church of 100. And I'm like, oh, sweetheart, we got 22,000 at St. Anthony's. And it's like, when you go to there, he said, he's, he's talking about these complications. And one of the things that he says is at the smallest level church, most pastors are what we call tent making pastors, meaning they have to go and work a full-time job and do this on the side. Now, my uncle was one of those type of people. But he said, but if you get, and this comment is what I'm talking about. If you get 10 families and they tithe, they could fund a full-time pastor. Mm-hmm. And I thought, we have, you know, 7,000 families. And, you know, you're hurting for money. 
because you're you have to hire a certain amount of people to serve a certain size. Like you can't hire one person for 700 high school students. You need to have you should probably have seven people serving 700 high school students. And that's just in the direct ministry, not even the administrative stuff. And so that I think is one of the biggest problems is we don't fund what we expect. And I don't think it's a relation to like the pastor just refuses to pay, but there's no money there. And because there's so, I mean, there is money, but the, the money is not there for the number one expense of a church, which is it's, it's physical, uh, it's human capital. Mm-hmm. And that's the big problem. So that's why people go to these mega parishes. I, um, I have a, yeah, be interested to hear what you have to say. You have a, you got a lot of that fundraising background and all that stuff. This yeah. Is, yeah. I, I think, and I love how Paul worded this and I could, I could already see him saying, no, no, this, this is actually the question I asked. He said, just pay for a just workload. Yeah. And so that's interesting. Right. This is, I love Paul. The just it's and because this is a job that you just can't like there's no inherent K, KPIs. There's no inherent. We want to get to this goal by this date kind of thing. You can have those things. That is good. But like we talked about before, we're doing when you're, you know, in like things like receptivity don't tend to lend themselves to metrics. And that's totally fine. And I don't, I don't think that that's a bad thing. It doesn't mean that you can't sit with your pastor and create some sense of purpose and some way to judge or discern, are we meeting that purpose? And to continue to do so through regular one-on-ones and to put things in writings or with your team to talk about that and to say, how are we doing? Is this where we should go? If not, how do we adjust or use things like, like strategy this presumes you've discerned what you need to do to to help you get there. And so I think part of that, understanding what is a uh, just pay for a just a just workload is really to define what is the work, what is the workload, what are we trying to do? What do we feel called to do? And then so what is that going to take? Quite often, what we don't uh, we think about what we what we want to do. Uh, we call that a strategic positioning. Well, you can call it a strategic position, but we don't think about is what's the strategic fit that is that is required. How do we maximize our capabilities to really make that happen? And that's the workload part. And I so I think helping to define what that is goes of goes a l- long way, which can help. I think better understand what should we pay a person to be able to do this. The hard part is sometimes you can't have that conversation until you're, you know, all like all already hired, which means you can't have, which means you've already agreed to some type of, some type of salary, which is why I think for people who work for the church, if you're doing this, it's actually after your first year, if you haven't already pushed for a high up salary, that's if you've done all this stuff and things and you're putting in the work, you've got the work, you're putting in the work. And, um, after year one, that's when you can push for a higher pay. I'm not saying that you really uh, that you sh- that you should not do it up front, but that's a but. So th- that, sorry, that's really just an aside. Um, but to Paul's point, um, just pay. I, I think Gomer. I don't know the data on this, but I think you're probably right. Um, one of our buddies who's a Protestant. I was on the phone with him, and he was talking about how um, 
compared to his experience in the in the Catholic Church, like you're forced to do stuff, and you're and I know a lot of people who go to Protestant churches that have to share their tax returns to show that they are um, that they like tithing and 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 stuff, and that makes me really uncomfortable. But I really like like I like the idea of accountability though, and I think you're right. Are you putting your money into like the guys? The church, it's you're the ones that like you fund this. We need you. Yeah, they need me. We need you. Like this is like your your dollar, your five dollars, your whatever. That's where it comes from. Like that's literally where it comes from. And yeah. so, yeah, I come. I would. I I don't have any data to back that up. I'd be curious to see that. But I think you're right. I think if we could find a way to increase the amount of people who are tithing, we could find a way to pay people better. I will also add. I do think financial management's a big part of that. Yeah. And so well, I think you, well making, let me let me just say let me, one can, thing. Can I just oh, add yeah. this one part then sure. and then please because I I think this, this I'm, I'm like almost done. I, I think this will help. I don't know what you're going to say but it may help. Um if you are practicing this is like why game is about to come out 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 of my mouth why you want a finance council or hopefully get the point where we actually afford a like a decent person who who like knows who has a, f- a finance background, um, or there are things that you can strive for, things that you can try to do to put your to put yourself in a position so you can grow, in terms of like you can grow what you are like bringing in, and you can hire the like like right on people. So it's both like a management issue, and it is a revenue issue, and it is a our entire approach as well. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, did that help at all, have, or did, 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 did I? No, I mean, I think it, okay. I think it all kind of goes together because we yeah. have the okay. church that we fund, and if we don't fund the church, then the priest is limited. When the priest has one dollar, and he has to decide, well, fifty cents of this dollar has to go to my already existing human capital, and then the rest of the fifty cents of that has to go to cathedraticum tax to the diocese has to go to helping to fund catholic schools has to go to um paying for Mm -hmm. the electricity and the energy Mm -hmm. of a shared space that people treat like crap maintenance the roof repair the you know all these things no one is immune no church building is immune to decay and weather and use so with all of that if we give that priest three dollars to handle $1 problems, then all of a sudden he is, he has the free, and then you bring in that financial management. Absolutely. That's why it's in the code of Canada law that finance councils are required. Um, yeah. yeah. But you have the understanding that, okay, I can pay for, I can pay for the church building. We're now debt free. I can then invest that in people. I can invest that in um, projects in the community. Right. See, that's the thing like that we miss is like people love to see the the kingdom advancing in things that they can support. So they love to see pregnancy assistance centers. They love to see food mm-hmm. pantries. Those these things where where your faith is tied to doing something for others, regardless of their faith, a neighbor in need, those that actually like generates revenue. So for instance, St. Anthony's has a thriving food pantry that is that has designated funds that the church, you know, can't use just for, you know, it's not the general offertory or whatever. And people fund it to the point where it has excess capital. 
like we can't spend this in in our ability to i mean think about this they found the absolute peak efficiency that that space can run because of excellent management because of incredible volunteers because of strong mm-hmm. support staff behind them the the facilities the space they maxed it out 100% so then they actually said you know what next year we did this year we did 15,000 thanksgiving turkeys this year we're going to do 12,000 because that's all we can do effectively and powerfully and no amount of more money is going to overcome this because it's just the limits of our our time our attention our space or the physical amount of cars that we can fill up and it's amazing like think about that in terms of youth ministry sacramental preparation um like the pastoral needs like like the sick and homebound receiving holy communion like the the ability to invest in the community comes from the community right it comes from us and so i think of you know um saint anthony's having and this is the thing with it like does it scale so when you have big churches chances are the wealthiest 5% of parishioners are funding 90% of the parish's day-to-day life. Yeah, that's right? true it for is, most not nonprofits now. Yeah, and it is shocking. Like and the funny thing is then that gives the wealthiest parishioners undue say in the goings-on of the parish. Mm-hmm. And that's what we don't want. We no one wants to be held hostage by a donor. Right, like, no, you're investing in our mission. We're doing this, yeah, but I don't like this one thing, so I want it gone, or I'm not giving you any money. And you're like, damn, that's twenty percent of our revenue for a year. I don't know if we can do that, you know. So mm-hmm. these are the things that having a groundswell, having a hundred people give you, you know, one dollar is better than having one person give you a hundred dollars. It might take the pressure off of you because, hey, this one person's a giver and is a good giver. But it's like, but then now there's an element of now I'm beholden to this person. No, yeah, I I, I agree. And I the other that, side, the other side of the coin is the just amount of work. And well, but that's I mean, but that's, that's, that's the that's, point. That's when I go to like understand like what is your job and what is it going to, going yeah, to take and that, actually that's that's the hard part. It's like we base a lot of our a lot. I mean, a lot of your a lot of your youth ministry job descriptions that I've seen are just event. They're event planners almost. Yeah, kind of hidden beneath that. And that's not what it is. It's a there's an aspect of that to that doesn't mean that that's the right person to do that part. Or that you should have it should all be one person. I, I I think that I think this is why I'm kind of kind of pumped about what I'm doing with grad schools. I actually think there's a potential to like if you can just make a few choices. Do we need to get rid of this? Do we need some people might not need a youth ministry program. Totally. And that's okay. Like, what are some yeah. choices that you can make? Like, what is the Lord calling you to? And um, there, it, it's, it's tough. There are things that we have to be all in on, things that we do have to do. But there are things that we can, like, you may not be called to do that. Or it may not be, oh, okay. I remember. And I will just, so I will, and I will end with this. If you want to see some people who know how to wheel and deal, find a priest from, like, the year 1500 to the year 1800 sorry to the year the year like 1950 or 1980 they are wheeling and dealing all the time they're trying to uh, uh, maximize the impact of their cash get things as cheap as they can they're finding any way they can to really uh, uh, maximize every dollar and they are constantly asking people for money i remember this when i went to uh, st don bosco's thing 
out um, in Turin, um, they I can't remember where I read this. It may have been in a book that Jason gave me or something. I, I don't know. But they said the most common thing he would say when people asked him, how can we help your boys? Because uh, for people who don't know, it's St. Domasco. He, uh, he ran an orphanage, right? Yeah, for like an a, a, a orphanage, a school, a trade. Yeah, did a, yeah, it was, yeah, it was definitely for like people who need a, a lot of help. You're poor, right? He, the number one thing he would always ask for was, please send money. Yeah. And like, don't be scared to ask. And don't, and you know, like, and to give, give out of your poverty. If it's a dollar, give a dollar. It doesn't like, truly, I, I'm, there's a part of me that doesn't like the idea that I doesn't agree with your thing about like one person giving 100 is better than is not as good as 100 people giving a dollar. But I do take your point in this, in this context. Like, I think you're right. Like it's a travesty that like some people think that a dollar isn't, is not worth giving because it's not enough. It is no matter what you have, no matter what you can give, even if it's just a little bit, cause you've got debt cause you have a whatever. And I totally understand that like $5. If that's all that you can give, that's okay. Yeah. It makes a difference. It does. Yeah. Yeah. It does. That's like, yeah, that's giving out of like, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but like giving out of your poverty. I'm like, this is all I can do right now. That's, that's so, and I, I do think the church needs to get to this point. Cause we're going like, here's the thing. You're going to lose people. And I think, I do think we're probably the time of people being in, like in ministry for two or three decades that may be going away. And I think this is a big part of it. Yeah. Uh, so, and, uh, and the, the just work thing though, I do want to say one of the things that I have found over the years is the event planner mode for youth and young adults is so strong. That let's say a youth minister that did it for 10 years did a great job. They phase out. You get a new person in there. They're doing a great job. Hey, you're the high school person. I also want you to be the young adult person. The first response of you to that, like to additions to your job is how much more are you going to pay me? And because and who else the, are you going to hire to help me go and do this yeah, stuff? Because, because that's what yeah. you want. What you want to do is either A, if you're excited about it, to get more money for more work. Or, well, I'm sorry. We just can't pay you. Well, I'm sorry. I just don't work for free. Well, it's the church, it's your faith. Yeah, and it's also my job and you're taking it you're using my faith and my devotion to God to take advantage of me as your employee. Mm-hmm. Don't do that. That's and, stupid. But then what you do is hopefully you can get them to see like, "Oh, you're right. I'm adding a third more workload to you. How about we find a part-time employee, you know, or something yeah, I, like that." I don't know if I don't know if I would agree that they're adding a third more of your work cuz like, like are your hours in in increasing by like one by one third or is it your job just became 30% more like more complicated which is like which could mean a higher amount like that's that, that's that's hard that's hard you need a reason to stay at that I I would agree with you like I'm 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 kind of arguing like semantics here a bit but that's really difficult and that takes a that takes a a, a skill set a skill set that you should pay for and that you should develop. And I, I agree with you. Like you should be hiring. Sorry, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm being a douchebag. I hope I'm not coming. It crosses one. Um, this is where you say no, Luke. You're fine. No, I know. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> no, my my thing is, uh, I had a friend who was the high school coordinator. And confirmation, because it's hundreds of kids, was though it was at high school, was run by a totally separate coordinator. 
And at this particular church, the high school, the confirmation coordinator was like, I can't take this anymore. I quit and quit in the very beginning of the year. So maybe after they had like two or three classes. And then the priest came to her and said, I need you to run confirmation. Not until I hire someone. Maybe he was putting out feelers, but he said, I need you to do it. So she took that duty on. And then I said, and she told me, she's like, I'm so stressed. I'm so this, I'm so that. And I said, did you, so was this a full-time job that you took on? She said, yes. I said, okay, are you working 80 hours? She's like, it's more like 65, but I have to give up a bunch of stuff that I can't do for my youth group now because I have to add on all this other stuff. This is a sacrament. We got to make sure they're prepared, blah, blah, blah. And then I said, you should go to your pastor today and say, I want that person's salary added to my salary. Until you I hire agree. a new person. Yeah. See, that's the thing that, pe- like, just I, because I agree, there's yeah. a need, yeah, just because there's a need doesn't mean even the person who's really, really good at what they do and there's very similar things, then you're saying, like, they can, no one person can do everything. Well, and, you know, if if you're at a, I mean, even if you're at a for-profit or if you're at some other non-profit, there are times typically when due to things either happening within the business or the economy as right, a whole, right. where you're going to have an increased workload for the same amount of pay, sometimes even a like lower amount of pay. But the carrot at the end of that stick is we're going to, we're putting you in the spot because you're important. You're going to help us get or help us get to the other side and yeah. you will somehow be rewarded on that other side. Yeah. And like, and so it's there's a difference between we don't have the money to do that and then trying to figure out okay like what's the thing we could do down like down like down the road to to make up for that sorry my uh dumb phone just got a text message or like are you just not hiring cuz you don't have the time and it's a lot but you do you know if you do have the money, if you if you do have the money and you're not at least giving them a twenty, I mean, I got like, I, I remember when I worked at a, at a Catholic high school, I took on three classes, and I think I got paid an extra, um, maybe seven thousand to do that, which was great. That was great, and I um, like if you're not doing that and you have the money, you're stealing. Yeah. Like you're stealing. It's wrong. It's completely yeah. wrong. Like you're not you're not paying the labor their their wages. And and this is one thing that I freaking drives me up a wall. Depriving a laborer of their wages is one of the four sins mentioned in the Bible that cry out to God for vengeance. Right? Mm-hmm. This is one of the the kind of pre Vatican II classifications of sin. You got the deadly sins and all this stuff. They were the four sins that cry out to God for vengeance. And it's ranked up there with murder, right? Abel's blood, your brother's blood cries out to me um, I think from it's the ground. Dante's Inferno too. Oh yeah, people. So yeah, yeah. So you have this. So this this is a, a, a solid, you know, Catholic catechetical model of teaching them like the different gravity of sin, types of sin, and depriving the laborer of their of their just wages is one of them. And I think sometimes the priest, the pastor, doesn't understand how to deal with the work demands. And so they go to the people they already have and they ask them to do it. Or someone leaves and they divvy up temporarily the responsibilities, but then it's not so temporary. One of the things I loved at St. Anthony's, which could become a problem, but was this notion of like, okay, we have all these great people. These are their obvious skill sets. How do we then re-divvy 
the workload, like this happened during COVID like three or four times. How do we redivvy the workload so it makes sense for the people that we have and it doesn't kill everyone? And then the next step was, okay, now that we have people sitting, you know, the cliche of sitting on the right seats on the bus, how do we then look at the workload and say, how can we make this easier? And that's the things that I find that places they don't like, that's one of the next steps that's so important, which is like, okay, so what's one of the problems? Well, we are doing the faith formation uh, of the sack prep for three different churches. They all just send their kids here. What benefit is that to us? Well, they don't tithe. They don't come to mass. They don't participate in the life of the community. They are just here to get a sacrament. Okay. How do we know that they're from another parish? Well, because they tell us and blah, blah, blah. Okay. We'll find out who they are. Charge them double. That's a solution. Maybe it doesn't work. Maybe it does work. Maybe that's the right thing for you. Discourage them. Okay. Put a cap on it and send it to our parishioners first. That's another thing that I'm not saying that's what people should do, but I'm saying like your people are finite. And the demands feel like Mm -hmm. they scale to infinite and people are afraid for the sake of their employees. They're afraid to say no to the congregation. And it's like, hey, guess what? We're not doing a youth, three youth trips a summer this year. You know why? Not because I hate the youth, but because I'm killing my youth ministers, having them gone for weeks at a time, doing stuff where they're working 16 hour days and having to deal with idiots that sneak out at night and all that stuff. And it's like, maybe there's something in our workload that if we just removed it, all of a sudden everyone could breathe easier. And that's the thing that I think in a very big way, outside of the tithing, if you can hire more people, great. That's not always the solution. Better train people, great. That's not always the solution. It's maybe this workload that we're doing, we ought not to be doing it. And so nix it and let's move on. Well, and that comes down to what I talked about earlier is what are the choices that you are making? What's the capabilities you're trying to build out? What? How can you make your yes, your yes mean yes, and your and your no mean no? I one of the things that I'm starting to find with my graduate program is I'm I have zero patience now for idea land. For here's a great idea, we should go and do it. Okay, cool. Like even okay, even when we did catching foxes, it wasn't much. But you and I sat down and we went through. Okay, so then like, how do we do this? You know, we had a thing about we want to do we trust that we don't have 100 episodes until like we find our voice. We wanted kind of we picked kind of the like intersection we wanted to be at. We put just enough thought into what type of a show do we want to be and how are we going to record to build out the decent um, capability. So we knew what, what, what we were we knew what we were trying to do and we weren't unsatisfied until we got to that. We weren't just trying to make a show. We were trying to make a show in a specific way that had that had a specific feel that was doing a specific thing. And too often, what the, the just what you are I'm talking about is like we need we don't we say yes to all of these things, which then means we just said we can't do anything. Christ doesn't like look at what Christ does in the gospel. Quite often, he tells people to do one of two things. Sorry. Um, to that's not true. To do like one or two things, either give all you have to the poor, come and like follow me, or just come and follow me, or give everything away, or give you know, or like, like he's telling them one. He's 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 not saying here are the ten things you you have to do to come and be my like disciple. He says you've got a choice, and it's this or nothing. And we it's like we just are like no 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 instead. I'm just going to try and be all things to all people. And you cannot do that. Like it's death, particularly right now. It's death. Stop doing it to everyone. (laughs) I I was like, 
Luke's got to finish this. This is going to be great. I know. Well, it just it just drives me up a fucking wall because it's it's like you ruin people. Uh, like people suffer when when we do. I have seen so many different Catholic apostolate schools, parishes, whatever. I've heard so many stories. I've been I've like where it's just you're not really choosing to do anything because you're a coward. Yeah. You know, like honestly, I think it. I think I think it's a lack of courage. It's a lack of prudence, and it's a lack of courage, and it's pathetic, and it drives me up a wall. And I'm really tired of it. I've seen it over and over and over and and over again. It just, mm. it's weird. It's yeah. weird. I've seen brilliant. I've seen brilliant like businessmen go into groupthink, men and women. I just mean brilliant business humans, business people. Yeah, get into groupthink and just make the dumbest choices. I'm like, you would never be okay with this if this was your business. You would never be okay with this. Yeah, it really. Like, this is, honestly, it's why I'm so grateful for my program. Is it sh- is it like showed me a better way? And I just, I really think a lot of the youth ministers that I know, or a lot of good ministry stuff that I've seen happen, they do this stuff. They're able to, to and they wouldn't even call it this, but they just kind of like, um, they were, and they had good um, pastors and good people who were behind them. It's off, it's right off in the, the pastor or it like, what drives me the most crazy about this stuff is not the pastor. It's the, it's the business manager. Like it's the parish business manager or the diocesan a person who works in like finance who just doesn't understand why you're doing this a certain way and it's like are you do you not understand how this works yeah like it's yeah. Know, it's 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 weird well that well, that's that's where the story started with this having the conversation with this person who said uh i got a call this morning of someone saying well listen I know you're going to a retreat, but that's fun. You need to come into the office and at least put some time at your desk. And he's like, actually, I don't because I have to pick the guy up from the airport who's running the whole retreat, and I'm helping to run it too. This is work for me. And they're like, uh, just at least two hours in the office. And he's like, no, bye. <laughs> I was like, that's that's good boundary drawn right there. I like yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, but the people it, don't understand that, and it, it kills me that, and one and and, and I, I I don't need to keep going, but one I of the things that so I've badly. always seen, <laughs> yeah, one of the things that I've always seen is people who sit behind a desk in in supporting ministries in you know just the the admin side operation side, but the people who don't walk and see what's happening. I mean, some of my greatest supporters were people in facilities because they see what's happening, but the people who live behind a desk, even if they're in ministry, see the ministry from the vantage point of behind the desk. And this is what I love about Pope Francis is, no, it's about the person on the other side of the desk and how you're working with them. And the, the whole thing, and I remember saying this to a youth minister in tears back when I was like, I think it was probably my third year. And they're like, why are they saying this? Why is this person saying this? And I said, it's simple. They're behind the desk. They see emails, office hours, and response time to phone calls. They don't see the fact that so-and-so just tried to commit suicide, was in the hospital, and just got released, and her, and her parents don't know what to do, and you're there. Mm-hmm. Now, a counselor's not there. You're there. And that's crazy. 
but that just took up your entire, you know, hours and hours. So the, you know, and, and that's, that's one of the things is the habits of doing ministry in our way blind us. So it's just nuts. It's just nuts. I, Gomer, that that's a really good, good point. And I don't, and it, it and actually I, I will say I, I used to, you know, I remember when I was at the diocese being pretty pissed off at our like our finance office all the time, <laughs> all the time. And, uh, not, I loved the CFO. It was just a, yeah, a few other things. He was great. It was just like this one time. I don't care if I, if I tell the story. It's not a big deal. I, I got, I had a person in, in the finance office snapping me over email because I put stuff on my own card for a reimbursement as opposed to the credit card. And I was like, I'm doing a major, I'm doing like a major like ministry event this, this month. I needed to use both. I don't have a huge credit limit on, on here. So I put it on my card. Sorry that I'm doing my job. And then he like apologized, and I and I, and I'm sure he probably was just you know he just yeah you you when you see like I had to remind myself like he's probably having a real shitty day to day because he's dealing with a lot of crap and a lot of stuff and like one of the things that's like super true about diocese that I I I don't think people I mean you hear people complain a lot about like you know the ten percent that goes from a parish to a diocese and I get it but like who's gonna pray pay for a piece for a priest a retirement or in there in hospice. Or all this, or yeah. tons of other things that quite often your diocese, the appeals in your diocese stuff pays for. Who pays for the seminary? All you know, like where does that where does that money come from? Yeah, that's and that's like you would like dioceses are they're extremely liquid. Like cash goes in, cash goes out, and so I yep. understand why, why this guy was was just like, "What are you doing?" And I'm like, "Give me a budget." <laughs> <laughs> Which is another thing, Ugh. but like I don't think yeah, I'm trying to be tread carefully. These, these are all stories that I have heard behind the scenes back when Luke wasn't allowed to say his last name nor his employer on Ketchik Boxes. Yeah, oh my gosh, I remember when I got that email. I was just like, he's a good guy. He's a good guy. He's probably in a bad mood. He's a good guy. I was just like, and the other side of the coin is he's probably also witnessed people put crap on their personal card to rank up in airplane miles and cash back and all this stuff yeah, that the diocese yeah. will never see. And they do, it's like, here's my receipt. And it's like, Hey, you know, that's a nonprofit, but because you use your personal credit card, we got charged sales tax. So I'm not going to reimburse that. What? You know, like stuff like that happens all the time. It's shady. Mm-hmm. Hey, it's, it's an hour and 10 minutes, man. Hour and 10 true. minutes. Yeah. This is good. So everyone else, there's a bunch of actually really good questions that we did not get to. And I put them, I'm put I'm putting them in my notes. So I'd like to get You're pulling back them from our these. chat in here? From yeah. the chat inside the thing. Yeah, okay, yeah, good. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Could this you really send cool. that note to me? Because actually I if I have some time, I might take like one or two of the questions and record like a little mini episode for our Patreon supporters, like I did with my review of Barbie. As a grown ass man at the movie theater by myself watching Barbie. At we we both did did that. I know. It's it's so uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean it, it was the most like I was there to talk about it on the podcast, so I felt justified in being there. But we were also talking about it on the podcast because we chose to talk about it on the podcast, not because we had to. <laughs> no, it was a significant cultural moment. How dare you? Uh, I, I still think it's appalling that you didn't like that a movie. I gave it a seven out of ten. The, seven out of ten. Like that's true. Seven. That's true. Okay. Okay. I'm just out of ten. I'm still kind of like it's not that funny. Yeah. It's not that Yes, funny. it is. 
the the all in all the funny stuff is is the imaginative creative stuff in the beginning. No, I not agree. all I think, the funny I think, stuff. The minor majority. I think the beginning of the, yeah yeah I would agree. I but loved I, it. I think loved it. Yeah. <laughs> I just wish people would just would just accept the fact that we're in a post Christian culture, so stuff is just going to bother them, and try to find the good in it. And the good was Ken. He's enough for me. <laughs> in the end, she embraces her womanhood. She goes to a gynecologist. It's like. It's about embracing the thing that we reject as a culture, which is which is like, which is womanhood. It's a very like, but you make the argument it's a borderline pro life ending. You know, like I'm just like, ah, think about it for five minutes, everyone. No, we'd rather act. Boom. Oh! I guess. That's what I, yeah, yeah. All right, okay. Everyone, uh, big thank you, you to the go. movie yeah. free. Please go and watch that paul i will see you tomorrow gomer i love you have a good weekend do you love me i do long time feed my lambs pet my sheep feed my lambs <laughs> feed my lambs every time i hear that i always just think of bob rice having to sing that song with my mad like a conference feed my lamb <laughs> i think of that song all the time too <laughs> this today i was going to the bathroom and because I don't feel well, and I was in this hotel bathroom, and you can everyone can hear me, and I can hear everyone. And I I got that stupid song stuck in my head. When I go walking, I strut my stuff, and I'm so strung out. I'm like, why is this the song that pops into my head like every three days? I hate that song. It's always what? in my head. You know who loves? I believe that's the Violet Femmes, whatever. Yeah, Uncle Wade, big fan of that band. Big fan. <laughs> Look away. Look you away. did this to me. All right. Adios, homie. Right, I love you, my friend. All right. I love you, too. Bye, everyone, in the chat. Good night. Stop. Not now. Like. Vagina. Oh. Sorry, I thought you were going somewhere else with it.